I am not much of a country music fan, but I am eclectic in my taste, and so I come across country music every once in a while, and I, I get the sense, uh, being where we are out here rurally, that, that many of you do enjoy country music. And so I thought this morning it would be appropriate to uh, introduce our journey into Leviticus chapter 23 with some lyrics uh, from a country music artist, uh, author of the great song, uh, She Thinks My Tractor's Sexy, Kenny Chesney. This is what he says in another song. I don't know the title of it. I go back to the smell of an old gym floor and the taste of salt on the Carolina shore after graduation and drinking goodbye to friends. And I go back to watching summer fade to fall, growing up too fast, and I do recall wishing time would stop right in its tracks. Every time I hear that song, I go back. I go back. Mr. Chesney's song makes use of that wonderful combination of music and memory. Who among us does not have a particular song or scent that will transport us immediately to somewhere in our past within our mind's eye? So too would be the case for the Israelites when they heard the sounds of trumpets. They would go back to the Exodus back to lamb in their mouths and blood on their doorposts, back to crossing the Red Sea, back to the foot of Mount Sinai as it rumbled with smoke and God spoke in thunder. And eventually, it would take them back to the conquests. And so this morning, we come to the Feasts of Trumpets. And this feast was day one of the seventh month, which was the holiest in Israel's calendar. At this time of year, they would remember their salvation, remember the law of God, and they would remember the conquests that God delivered on His promises. And they would prepare themselves for the great day of atonement tried to capture the main idea of this feast by giving it to you and just saying, uh, remember God's faithfulness and request God's favor, favor. That is, that He would be faithful to His covenant promises. That He would continue to bless His people in accordance with His words. And if you want to remember it even more simply, the, the, the take-home or the exhortation is to, to pray and remember. Pray and remember. Well, let's pray and begin today. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for teaching us through it. For pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ in every sentence. We ask that you would meet with us this morning. We ask that you would give to us your spirit. You ask, we ask that you would encourage us today. Lord, meet us here in this time. Thank you for, for loving us. It is astounding that you delight in us, your people. Help us to delight in you. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Leviticus chapter 23, starting in verse 23. The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you are to have a day of complete rest, commemoration, or memorial, and trumpet blasts, a sacred assembly. You must not do any daily work, but you must present a food offering to the Lord your God. The Feast of Trumpets was the first day of the seventh month. And again, this was the holiest month in Israel's calendar. In a way similar to uh, the Sabbath day being the seventh day of the week and the holiest day of the week, so too the seventh month is the holiest day in Israel's calendar. This day would kick off a month that also featured the Day of Atonement on the tenth day of the month and the Feast of Shelters or of Booths on the fifteenth day of the month. This month was the holiest month on Israel's calendar. The trumpets paved the way for all that was to come. This feast was aimed at reminding the people of God and God of the people. And it was how they kicked off the agricultural new year. It's unclear if they always celebrated it as a New Year's festival, but at least since the 4th century forward, uh, Jews have celebrated this day as their, their New Year. You probably know it by a more familiar name, Rosh Hashanah, right? It happens in uh, September, October-ish. And, and the reason they would celebrate this as kind of an agricultural New Year. See, the, the crops would have been harvested, and now was the time to take stock both materially and spiritually as they related to the Lord their God. Dr. Mosley helps to to untangle this a little bit, and he writes this, God's people in the Old Covenant period celebrated a religious new year on the first day of the month of Nisan in the spring, and a civil new year on the first day of the month of Tishri in the fall. Today, Jewish people refer to the Feast of Trumpets as Rosh Hashanah, which means the head or the beginning of the year. And so on this day, at this time, they are to rest and remember, they're to blast trumpets, and they are to make offerings. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, we're told what those offerings are precisely in Numbers chapter 29, in the first six verses, which say this. On the first day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a day for you to blow the trumpets. And you shall offer a burnt offering for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. One bull from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old without blemish. Also the grain offerings and fine flour with oil. Three-tenths of an epith for the bull, two-tenths for the ram. And one-tenth for each of the seven lambs with one male goat for a purification offering to make atonement for you. Besides the burnt offering of the new moon and its grain offering and the regular burnt offering and its grain offering and their drink offering according to the rule for them for a pleasing aroma, a food or fire offering to the Lord. 
And so blowing trumpets wasn't unusual in Israel. It's how they marked the beginning of each month. They would blow the trumpets and make the offerings. What sets the feasts of trumpets apart is they would offer additional offerings in, in, together with the blowing of the trumpets. And so there would be an extra burnt offering, there would be extra grain offerings, and there would be an extra purification offering. These were unusual. It set the day apart. It signaled the fact that this day of atonement was in their future. It reminded them to humble themselves before the Lord. Remember, the, the burnt offering is representative of uh, the, the offerings taking the place of the worshiper on the altar. The grain offering is, is saying to God, thank you, I belong to you. It takes on the meaning of whatever it's offered together with. A burnt offering would also carry connotations of dedication and devotion to the Lord. The sin or purification offering was again about atonement and about reconciliation with God, but, but it gives us a different angle on how that reconciliation happens. It gives us this picture of blood working like a, a cleaning agent. Blood, in Leviticus, cleans and cleanses sin. And so we see that the purification offering cleanses the people of their sin and of unrighteousness. They make all of these offerings to God, recognizing that they are His unholy people. And in order to live in His presence, they need a substitute. And so they trust in His provision by offering these sacrifices. The trumpets uh, would have been about preparing them for the day of atonement, that high holy day. Which made me think about the question, when, how often do I take stock of myself spiritually? How often do I prepare to come to worship? I mean, of course, I have to prepare a sermon, and so I have to be at least a little bit prepared. But, but how often am I praying and taking time by myself to prepare myself to come and worship the Lord together with His people? I wonder, what about you? Do you prepare yourself to come and to meet with God and to enjoy His people and enjoy this time together? Or do you come because it's kind of a habit and you impatiently wait until it is over, thinking about all the other things you could be doing or getting done? We ought to prepare ourselves to come before our holy God, count it as a great grace and privilege. This day was not just about preparing, however, I think that that's probably part of it, but, but I think that the primary purpose lies elsewhere. Look back at verse 24 of Leviticus 23. It says, Tell the Israelites in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you are to have a day of complete rest, commemoration, and trumpet blasts, a sacred assembly. The phrase, uh, commemoration and trumpet blast, you could translate that a little bit more literally, a reminder proclaimed with trumpet blasts. Or even more literally, if you want to just bring it word for word, it says, a reminder, trumpet blasts. You can see that memory is at the forefront of this festival. 
And it's interesting when we ask the question, well, who is supposed to remember? Who needs to be reminded? And I actually think the answer is twofold here. The people are to remember, as is the case with all of these feasts in Leviticus 23, the people are to remember God, but also, as we will see, God is going to be reminded by the people about the people. We'll get there in a second. Let's talk about what the people are to remember first. Of course, the Exodus events are always chief among the things the people are to remember. They are to remember their salvation out of slavery in Egypt and into relationship with the Lord their God. But that's not all. See, the sound of trumpets would have immediately brought this generation and subsequent generations who had heard the story back to the foot of Mount Sinai. Maybe you don't remember this this particular um, characteristic of the scene when God is giving to the people the Ten Commandments, but, but listen to what Exodus 19.18 says. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln. and The whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So you you can see how the sound of a trumpet would remind the people, not only of their coming out of Egypt in the Exodus, not only of their salvation, but of the giving of God's law, of the kingship of God, that he is their king and their ruler, and they are to obey him. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. Because it's here we will see the next facet of this, which is that the people will also be reminded not only about the Exodus, not only about the giving of the law, but also about the conquests. Remember the context here in Leviticus is the people have come out of Egypt, they're at the foot of Sinai still, and God is giving them directions, he's giving them instruction. They have not yet come into the promised land. Joshua hasn't led the people across the Jordan. They, they haven't set down roots in the Holy Land. And so there's this sense in which God is saying, remember what I have done, and I want you to remember what I am about to do. I want you to remember who you are, who I am, what I've done, and what I am about to do. This is what what we learn in Numbers that makes me think that. The Lord spoke to Moses, make two silver trumpets, sorry, two trumpets of hammered silver to summon the community and have the camps set out. When both are sounded in long blasts, the entire community is to gather before you at the entrance to the tent of meeting. However, if one is sounded, only the leaders, the heads of Israel's clans, are to gather before you. When, the sound short, when they sound short blasts, the camps pitched on the east are to set out. When you sound short blasts a second time, the camps pitched on the south are to set out. Short blasts are to be sounded for them to set out. When calling the assembly together, you are to sound long blasts, not short ones. The sons of Aaron, the priests, are to sound the trumpets. 
your use of these is a permanent statute throughout your generations. When you enter into battle in your land against an adversary who's attacking you, sound short blasts on the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. You are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and your fellowship offerings and on your joyous occasions, your appointed festivals, and the beginning of each of your months. They will serve as a reminder for you before your God. I am the Lord your God. And so these trumpets are made to coordinate the movements of the tribes as they march along through the wilderness and eventually march into the promised land. They're about battle formations and assembling the people and preparing for war. The music of trumpets would become the soundtrack of the conquests. I think the best example of this comes in Joshua, in that famous account when they, they've just crossed the Jordan. Remember, Joshua is replacing Moses as the new leader. And so we have these events that kind of show everybody that Joshua's the guy. And so in the same way that Moses crossed across the Red Sea and God split it apart, well, Joshua leads the people across the Jordan. It's up at flood stage. They bring the ark in. It splits apart. They cross on dry ground. In the same way that, that Moses has that experience before the burning bush and the angel of the Lord is in the burning bush and speaks to him, says, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. So too, does Joshua have this experience? He, he sees the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord says, take off your sandals where you're standing is holy ground. And we are tipped off that Joshua is the new Moses. He's the leader. He's going to take the people into the promised land. And it's here, as Joshua has his, feet off, his sandals off. You can't take your feet off. That would be weird. He takes his sandals off and he's standing before the Lord on holy ground. And this is what the Lord tells them to do as they prepare to attack the city of Jericho. Joshua 6, verse 3. March around the city with all the men of war, circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horn trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the ram's horns. When there is a prolonged blast of the trumpet and you hear its sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and the troops will advance, each man straight ahead. I got to admit, this does not sound like a great plan to me. But Joshua does it. This is not, you know, in your art of war kind of handbook. And they, they march around the city one time for six days in a row. And on the seventh day, they, they do it again, blowing these trumpets of ram's horns. And finally, all the people shout. And as the song goes, the walls came tumbling down. Literally, the text in Joshua says the wall fell underneath of itself. It's this great kind of graphic language. And the people take the city. Unforgettable experience. 
And so you can, you can see how the blowing of trumpets, be they the silver trumpets or the trumpets of ram's horns, would immediately take the people back to the exodus, to the giving of the law, and eventually to the conquests. When God is delivering on his promises. And so they are reminded of God's faithfulness to them. Of the victory that he gives. But there is another facet to this festival. Because not only are the people to remember, but also God is to remember. Did, did you catch that? Look in Numbers 10 again. I'm, I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. When you enter into battle in your land against an adversary who is attacking you, sound short blasts on the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God. Remembered. And be saved from your enemies. Verse 10, you are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and your fellowship sacrifices and on your joyous occasions, your appointed festivals, and the beginning of each of your months. They will serve as a reminder for you before your God. I am the Lord. Well, what's, what's going on here? Does God forget his people? Obviously not. He doesn't forget his people. So Jay Sklar gives us an explanation, and I think it's a good one. He says, The word reminder can refer to something serving as a reminder of the Israelites before the Lord. In these contexts, the word does not imply the Lord has forgotten them. Rather, the language of remembrance describes the Lord showing his people they are in the forefront of his thoughts. He does this by granting them favor, and in particular, by demonstrating faithfulness to his covenant promises. Thus, the reminder is a request from the Israelites, saying something like, O oh Lord, show us your favor and be faithful to the promises that you have made to us. And so the blowing of trumpets was a kind of musical prayer, acknowledging and requesting the Lord's favor. And since the Lord is the one commanding them to do this, it is his assurance that he will hear their prayer and be faithful to his promises. But what an excellent lesson for us to pray. To pray. Have you ever made a promise to a child? I, I certainly have. And they have this, this funny way of remembering exactly what you say when you say it. So in my house, oftentimes what we'll do is I'll, I'll do, you can get a sweet treat for sweet behavior. There are all kinds of, you know, Halloween candy, Easter candy stored up. Sometimes the kids steal it and get reprimanded. Um, but my favorite sweet treat, my, my personal favorite, uh, is M&M's. 
I have probably five or six different kinds of M&Ms in my refrigerator. I got, I got white chocolate peanut M&Ms. I got caramel M&Ms. I got mint M&Ms. I got dark chocolate M&Ms. I got the original. It's true. And so the kids get to pick out, you know, which kind they want when they're sweet. And so sometimes I'll, I'll make a promise and I'll say, you know, if you do X, you can have a sweet treat. And on occasion... You know, they'll do that, and I'll, I'll, you know, it'll slip my mind. I'll get distracted. Uh, they'll go to bed, and then we'll be two or three days down the road. And all of a sudden, here will come one of my boys, and they will say, Daddy, do you remember when you promised that we could have a sweet treat? You said this, we could have a sweet treat. You, you said sweet treat didn't come. You said we could have a sweet treat. You did. Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? I'm like, yes, I remember. I don't get mad at him. Typically, I kind of smile and laugh. And I say, yeah, and sometimes they, they, get the, they get that what was promised right then and there. Other times, I say, you know what? You're right, I did make that promise. And I intend to keep it. But not right now. We're getting ready to eat dinner. I'll keep that promise to you, but not, not right now. It's, it's getting close to bedtime. Never begrudge them. In fact, I'm happy that, that they've been listening to me and taking my words seriously. See, likewise, God is that way. He, he, he wants us to be like loving and persistent children. He wants us to listen to his word and to his promises and to take them very, very seriously. And he wants us to pray them back to him. He wants us to come to him again and again and again in prayer, asking him for his favor, reminding him, this, God, you have said you are my father and you love me. Help me to trust you and bless me. I know that you keep your promises. I'm trusting in them. He, he loves that. I think that's one of the reasons that Jesus tells the, the parable of that annoying guy that comes to his friend in the middle of the night in Luke 11. He teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer and then immediately gives them this parable. Luke 11, verse 5. He also said to them, Suppose one of you, one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My kids and I have gone to bed and I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, I love that translation there. It's persistency, that shameless boldness. He will get up and give him as much as he needs. And then here comes the point Jesus is going to tell us. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, 
will give him a scorpion. If then you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Matthew says, in the, quoting the same teaching, uh, that God will give good gifts to those who ask Him. And the point's the same. The Holy Spirit is the greatest of gifts. The point is, is we, we come to God praying and asking, and God delights to give to us good gifts. He's the good gift giver. He knows what's best. And we come to him, we, we pray for his promises, we pray for his faithfulness, and he is going to answer that prayer. He delights to give his people the Holy Spirit, and he's always going to give us what's best for us. And what's best for us is what accords with his will. So that whatever you receive in prayer is what you would have asked for if you knew everything that God knows. He's always faithful to answer the prayers of his people. And we ought to go before him like children, blasting our metaphorical trumpets and saying, God, remember your faithfulness. Remember the favor that you've had on me. Continue to keep those wonderful promises. Is prayer a priority in your life? I think it's one thing we always say, yes, you know, the power of prayer and, and, and prayer is, is great. I think the reality is very few of us actually pray for even five minutes a day. Is prayer a priority in your life? Do you take time to take advantage of this incredible privilege of speaking to God. Your prayer life will reveal where your faith is and what you care about. Prayerlessness is faithlessness. Prayerlessness says, God, I don't need to communicate with you. I got this. And your prayer life will reveal what you care about. What does your prayer life, or lack thereof, say about what you care about? I want to be a people that Pray. Draw near to God. This is why one of the reasons Christ died. Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins, covered in sweat and spit and blood, so that you could draw near to God. He died on the cross so that you wouldn't have to know the wrath of God. But when you repent and put your faith in Him, you can know the overwhelming, lavish love and favor of God. 
And one of the ways, one of the blessings, one of the ways we experience that favor is by coming to God. Christian, don't ever hesitate to pray. Make coming to God, make drawing near to God a priority in your life. Read the Bible. Read His Word, which is where God speaks to us, is in His Word, and then speak back to God in prayer. Pray His Word back to Him. If you struggle with prayer, open up the Psalms and then just pray the Psalm. Pray. Listen to God speak to you and then speak to God. Enjoy the relationship that Jesus has purchased for you. And pray with other people. Pray corporately. This is an underrated aspect, an underrated blessing of our Christianity. Is that we don't exist in isolation with God. We exist together. We're in relationship with God and with one another. And how wonderful it is when the body of Christ clasps its hands and goes before the Lord as one people with one voice. When we pray together, do you zone out? <laughs> or do you pray? I want to be a people that, that pray. Non-Christian, I want you to know that Christ died for all who will leave their sin and come to Him. I want you to know that, that God is not mad at you. He's not waiting to scold you. The arms of Christ are open wide, waiting to hold you fast. You will just leave your sin and cling to Him instead. He is gentle and lowly at heart. We want to be a people to pray, and we also want to be a people that Remember, this festival would have conjured up memories of the salvation from Egypt, memories of receiving the law at Sinai, and memories of the conquest. And so likewise, we want to be a people that remember our salvation. Now there are a myriad of ways to do this. One of the things they do in Joshua is they pile up stones all over the place after they've conquered people. So they have all these kind of memorials so that wherever you are in the land, if you look over and you see a pile of stones, one of your kids is like, why is that pile of stones there? Well, it's because of what the Lord did in, in this particular situation and circumstance. They're reminders of what God has done. Now, we might not have a, a day designated for trumpets, but it is wise to put little reminders in your life about who God is and what he's done. This can take... Uh, all kinds of forms. Maybe it means artwork on your walls in your house, a Bible verse, something, a little something on your keychain. I mean, anything that, that takes your mind and reminds you, I should pray. I should pray. Praise God for what He's done. I need to remember the great salvation that He's given to me. One of the things, and you probably see this coming. One of the things God has built into our lives as Christians is this weekly gathering where we come to remember the gospel and remember our salvation, where we come and we pray together and we sing. We commit ourselves to hearing God's word. It's a, a reminder of our salvation. 
When was the last time, and for me this week, it had been a long time when I considered this question, but when was the last time you thought about your conversion? Last time you thought about the day or the season of life when God saved you from your sin and you, you had your eyes opened and you believed in Jesus. And you realized that, that God created you and he loves you. And that even though you tried and did rebel against him, even though you tried to usurp him, even though in your heart of hearts you desired darkness and sin instead of him, he persisted to love you when you were unlovely and he was resolved to save you out of your mess, out of your sin, out of your rebellion. When was the last time you thought about that? We want to remember our salvation, remember our conversions. We don't want to forget about the mighty works of God in our lives. We also want to remember God's rule and his kingship in our lives. We want to remember his law. As the people would have been reminded of God's law given to them at Sinai, as they heard the sound of trumpets, so too do we want to remind ourselves of God's law. And I point out there's this kind of symbiotic relationship. The people obey God's word and obey his law, and they are reminded of his law and of his word. So as they obey God's rule, they are reminded of it. And I think so too with us. As we obey God's word, the more we will remember his word. That's what James says about Remembering the word. And I think he says it because we remember what we do. You, you remember what you do. James 2. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Think of it like this. If you are trying to learn how to ride a bike, and I say to you, you know, you've got to push one pedal down, and you, you know, pull your leg over and grab the handlebars and you balance yourself and push one pedal and then the other pedal. And, and I try to explain it to you. I explain all the physics, all the ins and outs. But you never actually get on a bike and learn how to ride that thing. That knowledge is not going to be worth very much to you. It's easily forgotten. On the other hand, if you get on the bike and do the necessary work to, to learn the theory and put the theory into practice, you know, skin your knees and you fall over a couple times, eventually learn how to, how to ride the thing, you'll never forget it. Because we remember what we do. It gets logged in that procedural memory. Thus the saying, it's like riding a bike, right? You learn how to do it and you never forget it. Likewise, as we do God's word, it gets into us, and we remember it. 
It rules over us. Merely listening to God's word and not doing what it says is as bad as not listening at all. Or forgetting his word altogether. We want to be a people who remember his rule in our lives. Remember his kingship. And part of the way we remember his word is by doing it. Lastly, one of the last lessons we want to point out this morning is that we want to remember God's promises. Now, we again, we don't have a festival of trumpets. We're not looking forward to the the conquest of physical land. But we do gather and we do remember, we, we listen to God's word proclaimed, pray. We remember his, our salvation and his rule, all the promises to us in Christ. We sing songs that, that take us back to the cross and the empty tomb. We, we worship together, not with the sound of trumpets, but waiting for the sound of trumpets. Let me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christian, when you are down, when you are sad, when you are discouraged, when you are depressed, when you are fearful, when you are anxious, when you are worried, when you're at the end of your rope, listen intently for the sound of trumpets and pray, remembering That he who promised is faithful. And that the one who promised that he would die and then three days later rise again has also promised to return and to make all things new. Remember that God keeps his promises. And one day indeed that trumpet will sound.
all things will be made well. Jesus Christ is seated on the throne. His return is imminent. Remember the faithfulness of our God and continue praying for Him to give us favor to keep His covenant promises. He will keep them. You can take God's word to the bank. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to us. We praise you and we thank you for loving a people like us. We thank you that you have sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross in our place for our sins and to rise again for our justification. We thank you that death is not the last word over us, but eternal life, resurrection life, all because of your great plan of salvation. Lord, we love you. We remind you of your promises to us this morning. We long for the return of Jesus our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.